are listening to the Batflip Podcast, a baseball podcast from Belly Up Sports and the Belly Up Podcast Network. Here are your hosts, Damian and Matt. Welcome back, everyone, to the Batflip Podcast. My name is Damian here with my co-host, Matt. Coming to you a little later than normal. We're coming to you on January 14th of 2022, a Friday instead of a Tuesday as we're recording this. Um, just had some personal things between us both that kind of stopped us from being able to to record on a normal schedule, but we still wanted to get an episode out this week. But this week we're going to dive into uh, the Hall of Fame, make our own kind of ballots with the announcement being next week right before we record. So we'll be able to, to bring who got in um, and who didn't. Uh, we do have a little bit of CBA news that they kind of negotiated, and then we'll get a little bit into that um, before the Hall of Fame stuff. Before we get into all of that, how are you doing, Matt? Doing all right. Um, I'm uh, just uh, excited to talk about some Hall of Fame stuff. I kind of hate that the CBA thing is not working itself out so far, but um, definitely um, definitely ready to talk some uh, Hall of Fame. And uh, so everything's going pretty well. And uh, gonna um, been doing some doing some uh, watching some sports this week. Watching a lot of basketball lately, so uh, it's been fun. But uh, ready to get on get get on with the show here. Yeah, it really is. Um... You know, the college basketball world has been really interesting the past couple weeks for sure. But, um, you know, let's go ahead and look just to what the CBA was that they, uh, you know, we mentioned last week that they hadn't even had talks scheduled. Um, but they actually ended up having, I think it was like a 45-minute or an hour-long uh, meeting yesterday. Um, and the owners had given a proposal to the players. Uh, the players didn't really receive it too well. They they focused on some of the the issues with the younger players and the service time manipulation and um, you know kind of what arbitration or getting players the money a little earlier would look like but the overall of the you know luxury tax issue that the players are wanting or like the salary floors and stuff that really was no movement on that and um, you know just an overall didn't seem like a, the players were too thrilled with what the owners had brought that you know brought to the table um so they're they're supposed to within the next week or two give a, a counter proposal, but still doesn't seem very encouraging. Yeah, I mean I'm glad that they at least met, I guess, but um, yeah, definitely not a lot of movement. I, there's a lot of animosity. Um, I mean, some of the proposals are at least they're kind of talking about some of the issue actual issues now. Um, the surface time manipulation is a big issue. But uh, I know that the MLB said that they were going to focus on that first and, you know, then focus on the, you know, stuff like the luxury tax, which wasn't really a part of this offer, um, you know, later on, which there's not a lot of time for later on. But, you know, we'll see how that goes. So hopefully they hopefully they counter with an offer pretty soon. And, um, you know, that'll be important because uh, they definitely need to get this moving, um, moving in the right direction, you know, in the next couple of weeks so they can hopefully get to spring training next month at a, uh, you know, without losing a, a large portion of spring training games. I'm sure if they lose a few spring training games, it's not going to matter that much. But if we get to mid-February and, and it's not even close, then people are going to really start to get worried. So um, hopefully they kind of set a deadline and, and get things worked out. But we'll see. Uh, and uh, I guess this is kind of a step in the right direction because they at least met, but uh, which hadn't been done in a while. But, uh, you know, still, I'm, it's still worrisome they're – not even coming to agreement on anything right now. So uh, hopefully they uh, hopefully they get moving pretty soon. Yeah, hopefully they do. I mean, you know, you're starting to get into the area where if this starts dragging on too long and they start don't make major progress that, 
you know, stuff might start getting threatened. I mean, we're halfway through January and they have neither side has even started to budge on anything yet. So they need to make some little headway on something at least. Um, you know, one of these big major deals, because it seems like there's four or five or six that even, you know, both sides are wanting to get stuff done on. So hopefully that does, but it, it is an encouraging sign, at least that they met. And hopefully the players, you know, respond quickly and, and with an offer, you know, either next week or the week after to, you know, to get this deal rolling even more. But, you know, let's, let's go ahead and we want to spend the majority of this episode, um, you know, talking about the Hall of Fame ballot overall. Um, you know, hitting on the names that are at least on it will go alphabetically, um, you know, of the, the guys, the, the normal ballot that everyone gets uh, and, and hit on, you know, who our ballots are. Uh, maybe some players we're not going to spend too much time on just mention that they're on here, um, you know, but we'll just go ahead and start at the top of the list with the first name being Bobby Abreu. Yeah, and, uh, so Bobby Abreu is somebody who I think is very underrated over the last, you know, over his career in, uh, in baseball history. He's a guy who, for from 1998 until 20, 2004, put up over five wins above replacement every single year. He had a fantastic peak. Um, you know, after that, his defensive numbers really hurt his, uh, you know, his wins above replacement totals, but he was still putting up great offensive seasons. He did do a little bit of DHing once he moved to the American League. Um, but this is a guy who, you know, you could pencil him in for somewhere between 20 and 30 home runs, and you could pencil him in from somewhere between 20 and 40 stolen bases. And he was always going to run a high bat- uh, a high uh, uh, walk rate and a, a high on base percentage. For his career, had a 395 on base percentage. Um, you know, 475 slugging, hit 288 career home runs, 400 career stolen bases. Um, this is a guy who is a very, very good player. And I actually have him as a, as a guy I would vote for on my ballot because he put up a, a really good peak. His longevity was pretty good. Played for 18 years in the big leagues. Um, put up uh, 59.8 career uh, fan graphs war. And, uh, you know, but but really it's that power speed combination he had and the, and the old base percentage makes him one of the best leadoff hitters of the last 20 years. So I really like Bobby Abreu, and uh, you know I wanted to shout him out as somebody I would have put on my ballot. So yeah, Bobby Abreu is one of those guys that I is is close on one of my ballots. But if we're following the rules of being able to only vote for ten, he'd probably be that eleventh or maybe twelfth, thirteenth type guy. Um, you know, just right off that ballot. The the problem is this twenty twenty two ballot is so stacked this year with with people who are Hall of Fame talents. Um, it's hard to get everyone in, but Bobby Brayu had a really good career, and you know, hopefully, as some of these guys clear off, he gets more of a look as a Hall of Famer for sure. But uh, you know, the next guy is uh, one we'll we'll both agree on, and probably the most well-known name on this ballot, and that's Barry Bonds. Yeah, so I mean, we don't really even need to discuss Barry Bonds as a player. I mean, 164 wins above replacement puts him second all time behind the Babe. Uh, 762 home runs is the record. Um, you know, I think the most remarkable thing about Bonds is not the home runs; it's the on base percentage. 444 on base percentage, a 20% walk rate, um, just insane numbers. Uh, holds several records for for on base walks, uh, slugging percentage, and, and and the home runs and the single season home run record. I think really the biggest thing to discuss with Bonds would be the, the steroids that'll that's keeping him a lot, off of a lot of ballots. And 
you know, I've gone back, I've gone back and forth on this a little bit through my, you know, through the 10 years that they, these guys, Bonds and Clemens being the two that are in their 10th year and their final year on the ballot. Um, but I've come to the, the conclusion that I do think I would vote for Bonds and, and Clemens, who we'll get to in a minute. But um, because I think that for, for one thing, even before Bonds really started with the steroids, he was probably going to be a Hall of Famer. I mean, he when he was Pirates, I don't think he was juicing, and he was probably a Hall of Fame caliber player already. But, you know, when he got to San Francisco, he got started juicing a little bit. It was just one of those things where I, after, you know, some uh, reflection on everything, they really weren't checking these guys at that point. And, I mean, who's to say that Bonds didn't, wasn't, against juicing and then these guys all are starting to you know juice and he's like well you know if they're not going to enforce it then i'm going to start doing that too i mean so it's kind of like the wild wild west so i I do think i would put bonds in my ballot for the reasons that you you just you, you can't not vote for bonds with his numbers and even without the home run record which i still think probably should have an asterisk by it he's he's a hall of famer either way so um it would have been a 500 500 maybe even 600 home run guy even without the juice so uh bonds definitely i would vote for yeah bonds deserves to technically to be in the hall of fame he like you said you know even before the rumors of the steroids or even suspicion of it he had a, a hall of fame level career in pittsburgh before ever you know touching any of that stuff and so he definitely deserves to be you know on the hall of fame thing he's somebody that from the first time he was on the ballot, I still thought that he should be a Hall of Famer. Um, it's just hard. You know, the way I kind of like look at the Hall of Fame, it's can you tell the story of the game by people who are, you know, if you're in the Hall of Fame, can you tell the story of the game without mentioning them? And I don't think you can with Barry Bonds. Like, you, he's a vital part of, you know, an era of baseball. So he's he definitely is, a you know, somebody that has to be in the Hall of Fame in my eyes. And it's I'm glad that he's finally trending that way. But we'll talk more about that next week. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. The next guy that we have on the ballot um, is a guy who's, uh, you know, one of those borderline cases, kind of like what Bobby Abreu was. But that's Mark Burley. Yeah, Mark Burley's a really interesting case. Um, now, I don't think I would put him on the ballot. But I mean, I, I think I, I would put him on the ballot. I, I don't think I'd vote for him. But um very very low strikeout uh, low walk guy um you know always pitched uh the, the, fu- the funny thing about mark burley was the fact that he could throw he was almost like the lefty maddox he just wasn't quite as good as maddox but he was you could pencil him down for being a solid you know mid to upper rotation arm he's always going to throw 200 innings in fact he threw 200 innings from 2001 till 2014 and 2015, his last season, he threw 198 innings, which is just remarkable in this day and age. Um, and uh, you know, his 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 peripherals were, were a little inconsistent, or were pretty consistently, you know, upper threes, low fours, uh, with his peripherals, his FIP and XFIP, and then his ERA was kind of relative to that, maybe a little bit lower. Um, in his career, over 3,000 innings, um, you know, a 3.81 ERA, uh, which is really nice. Uh, you know, 214 wins, which for a lot of the, uh, you know, the, the more old-fashioned people is important. Um, you know, you look at his, um, you know, he, he threw a perfect game. He's a world champion in 2005 with the White Sox. He, he threw another no-hitter. I mean, he's a guy who, and he has a unique uh, part of the game with, with his style of being the guy who threw low-pitch counts, threw really fat, like 
um, not fast as in pitch speed, but like he threw he threw his games like he could pitch a game in two hours. I mean, he was just he was up there ready to go, throw, 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 throw. And I think that was really cool about him. Uh, there's a funny uh, a, a fun video on YouTube uh, from a baseball uh, from a foolish baseball that about Mark Burley that everyone should check out. It was pretty cool about how quickly he could throw a game. Um, but, um, but I think he, he just falls off my ballot. I just don't think his peak was quite, you know, what needs to be in the hall of fame and a 381 ERA would be one of the worst, uh, ERAs for pitchers in the game. I think his biggest thing was just his durability. And, uh, I just don't know if he has the peak to be a hall of famer. Yeah. He, he, like I said, he was one of those borderline guys that you could make a little bit of a case for, but you know, odds on. He's going to not be a guy that many people are even voting for. Uh, I believe right now he's even under the you know the percentage of being able to stay on the ballot for next year. Um, but I do think he was a little underappreciated at times. Uh, you know, like you said, he was very good, and I think he's kind of more of one of the underrated guys. Um, but you know, not somebody that's going to be able to make the Hall of Fame. But uh, the next guy that we have on the list is you know one of those other controversial names as you mentioned with Barry Bonds, but that's Roger Clemens. Um, you know, a guy who is known around for taking the steroids, but he pitched like 24 years in the majors, you know, 354 wins, a career, um, you know, three, yeah, career three, one, two ERA, uh, you know, just a guy who, like I said, he's one of the best pitchers of all times, even with the, with or without steroids. I think he took him to kind of, you know, longevity, his career, and he had a career year. Um, you know, one of his career years in 2005 at the age of 42, which you could probably benefit to the, to steroids. But overall, I, I think he's a guy that, you know, he's too good, even, you know, considering what the steroids was in that era of the game um, to, to not be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, I, I definitely don't think Roger Clemens is quite as much of a, a shoe in, you know, when you, when you consider the steroids as Barry Bonds is. But, uh, you know, Roger Clemens, I think he should be in. He's a guy who, you look at his just counting stats, third all-time in strikeouts uh, behind Nolan Ryan and Randy Johnson. Uh, you know, had a career uh, a career 3.12 ERA and 3.09 FIP, which means that his he was actually a little bit unlucky over his career. Uh, probably had some poor defense behind him at times. But, um, you know, 133.7 wins above replacement. You could probably shave off a little bit of that at the end of his career because of, you know, the steroids were definitely going to help him get past, you know, his age 30, mid-30s career. But even before that, he was a Hall of Famer, um, you know, a great pitcher. Um, he, you know, obviously just the, the power pitcher, um, strike anybody out, didn't walk a ton of guys for his career. Um, you know, just one of the best pitchers of all time, and he, he definitely is a guy who, probably regardless of the steroids, would have would have been a would have been a shoe in anyways. So, um, you know, I think that he and and the fact that you know everyone he was pitching to in those late nineties, early two thousands era was probably juiced up as well. So, um, I definitely think that Roger Clemens needs to be in, even though I don't really like him. I mean, he had some outbursts that were uh, a little bit uh little bit on the uh shady side like when he threw that bat at mike piazza so that was not a good not a good look but uh definitely should be in the hall of fame absolutely he should be 
Um, you know, the next couple guys on the list are, are guys that, you know, probably were fan or we were fan favorites of, um, you know, as we were growing up, but just not quite good enough to make it um, onto the Hall of Fame ballot. But that's Carl Crawford and Prince Fielder. Yeah, Carl Crawford was a good player, had some really good years, especially with uh, with the Rays. Um, you know, a, a base stealer, uh, 480 stolen bases, had 58 stolen bases in 06. Um, 50 in 07, 55 in 03, 59 in 04. Just a guy who was just a great, great base dealer. A good defensive player as well, um, you know, for most of his career. Ended up, uh, you know, going to Boston and then L.A. at the end of his career. Um, just not quite enough juice in his bat to put him put him up there much higher. Um, and the longevity, maybe not quite as much too. Uh, you know, only played in, uh, you know, only played 14 seasons, which is a lot, but... Uh, you know, he retired at age 34, um, you know, was really starting to wane down at the end of his career. Uh, did have a great peak, but, you know, his counting stats, only 41 wins above replacement for his career. Um, you know, he's not really quite at the level of some of these other guys that are in the ballot. Yeah, and then looking at a guy like Prince Fielder, um, you know, he's probably a guy who was was hurt by the injury bug later on in his career. If he would have been able to continue on, um, he's probably a guy that we would have been able to look closer at, you know, in some of his years in Milwaukee, he had the, you know, 50 homer season in 2007, another in 2009, you know, 46 homers, 141 RBIs, you know, career 319 homers. Um, he was a guy early on in the career that was you know really durable. I mean, he played 157 games in what, from 2006 to 2013 with 2009, um, through 2013 he missed a total of one game the through that entire stretch um and then he ended up starting dealing with the uh, a neck injury uh in texas in 2014 he only played 42 games and then uh 15 he played 158 again but his kind of his power was zapped really he only got to 23 that year um and then was forced to retire early at the age of 32 in 2016 yeah prince Fielder's a guy who you know he would have been a really interesting hall of fame case because I think that there's a chance if he had played for, for you know five, six more years, he could have gotten to 500 homers and been a member of the 500 homer club. But that's but his defense was so bad at first base, and then eventually he would have definitely moved to DH full-time. Um, you know, I think that would have held his overall numbers back. I think he would have been like a David Ortiz-type case, though, where he's probably getting in regardless. Would have been a probably considered a career-type DH Unlike, even though he played a lot more position than David Ortiz did, but um, I definitely like Prince Fielder. You know, I, I think that he would have probably gotten closer to, to being a Hall of Famer if he had, you know, stayed healthy for five, six more years. But you know, eleven-year career, um, the longevity wasn't really there. He really didn't take off in the big leagues till 2007 as well, which uh, you know he was age 23, and he was, you know, his decline really started at age 29 after his age 29 season. So he really had a good peak, but it was just six years. And as a first baseman, he hit really well, obviously, but, you know, he only put up 27 wins above replacement for his career. Um, 319 homers is nice. Um, but, I mean, he's it, it, it's a tough case to put him in the Hall of Fame because of, you know, just longevity. So, Yeah, that, that, that really does hurt his case. Um, but next guy that we're going to talk about is Todd Helton, um, a guy who I think 
you know, he's probably that 11th guy. Like I talked about with Bobby Abreu, he's Helton's probably the, the guy that I want to put on the ballot the most. I'm trying to find a spot for him. Um, you know, I think if he were able to put up these stats outside of Coors Field, then he would be, you know, a for sure Hall of Famer. But I think that people just take the Coors Field effect, um, you know, a, a little too far. Like to me, it's a place that is that is in the major league baseball. Yeah, sure. The ball carries, but it's also the biggest park in the, in the league. Um, you know, why are we penalizing somebody for something that we allow to happen? Like with the DH as well. Yeah, sure. They don't play defense, but they're, you know, it's still a spot that we have in the game. So why should somebody be penalized for being really great at that? Like Helton was a really good first baseman. And, you know, I, part of it is being taken because, Oh, well you play in a thing where the ball carries a little too much. And I just, I don't think that's, fair at all yeah i mean helton's the guy that he's on my radar um you know a few of these guys getting off the ballot next year whether it's from you know this being their final year or from them you know getting into the hall of fame he might be a guy that would be a a ninth or tenth next year but um you know he, he his his case is really good 300 average 400 on base 500 slugging there's not many guys that had that line that are not in the hall of fame uh, but, uh, you know, you look at him as a first baseman who played in cores and, you know, that does, that is going to hurt his case a little bit because for one thing, if you look at his career batting average on balls in play, that is very high, which a lot of times is, you know, partially due to having such a big field, um, and having a lot more space for balls to drop in the outfield. And then obviously, you know hit more home runs being in course as well so you know his if his case was solely due to home runs you know the it would be like you know cores wouldn't be quite as big of a deal because but you also got to remember too that some of these were before they had the humidor there too and you know the ball was just absolutely crazy flying out in the early 2000s and you know after 2004 2005 when they kind of toned it down a little bit with that um you know his home run totals dropped drastically now he was still a very good hitter for those years but he wasn't quite as good as he was in the early early career. So I think Todd Helton's a very interesting case. He's had a he had a peak of 2000 to 2004, 2005 maybe even that was definitely Hall of Fame worthy and had some longevity, has some counting stats. But um, you know he just he just misses for me as well, um, just barely off. But he he's a guy who has a chance to to get on next year maybe. Yeah, he like there. There's a good chance that you know he gets a, a better push in the next couple years, especially with uh, you know these crowded ballots getting kind of cleared out. Um, but you know the next next group of guys is a, another one that really doesn't make either one of our ballots, and that's Ryan Howard, Tim Hudson, and Tory Hunter. Yeah, I'll start with Ryan Howard. Uh, you know, he's a guy that you know for the Phillies had a couple of really good years. Um, you know, his counting stats with the 382 home runs, that's pretty nice. But, I mean, you know, career 28% strikeout rate. Only had 12 seasons in the big leagues. But really, you know, his first one was only 19 games. The second was only 88 games. So, he really only had about 10 years in the big leagues. And then his last, like, five years were awful. So, he had a peak of, you know, two or three years where he was one of the better hitters in the game. But, um you know, he only had one season above 135 WRC plus as well. So in, in 2006, the year he hit 58 homers. So this is a guy that, he, you know, he had his peak. He was pretty good. He played a big role on a couple of really good Phillies teams that won the World won, won the World Series. But, um, you know, 
I mean, he only put up he put up sub twenty WAR for his career, so I definitely don't think I think he's probably one of the weaker cases on this ballot. Yeah, it's and there's also going to be that little bit of like a what if if he had never hurt his Achilles, like what a what a what would he have been able to get to, um, you know, counting stats wise and and that because he really wasn't the same player after that Achilles injury, um, you know, and it, it would have been interesting to see what he might have been able to be, but. You know, looking at a guy like Tim Hudson, who's a, right there, is, you know, he was a guy who is a really good pitcher for a long time. I mean, he played 17 years in the league at 222 wins, um, you know, a 349 ERA, which is, you know, really good as well. Over 3,000 innings. You know, I, I think the, the thing that's going to kind of just hurt him is that there were so many other people on the ballots that he just didn't get, you know, as good of a look that you know, he probably should have got, I mean, a career 378 FIP even, I mean, that's still really good as well. An ERA plus of 120 for the career. You know, I, I, it is baffling to me that he doesn't have more support, but you know, it, I could kind of see it with, with the, uh, how loaded the ballots are and how many people it just, it's hard to get everyone on. Yeah. Tim Hudson's a guy that for me is, he's a special player because, I um you know I'm as an Auburn grad he's he's an Auburn guy that uh played for played for Auburn and um you know at, at, and and when he got to the pros he went to my favorite pro team after his first five years he went to, after that he went to Atlanta for a long time so um you know he's a guy that I pulled for for a long time you know being a brave and and an Auburn guy but he um you know he's a great pitcher um put up a really good career 16 years he's actually the current hitting coach at Auburn I mean uh, pitching coach at Auburn which is pretty cool but um he um you know he, he's probably the definition of Hall of very good long career very solid pitcher had some really good years um but you know he's just not quite I, I just don't think he was quite enough of a strikeout pitcher that and, and not quite dominant enough to eclipse the you know the threshold um i think you know you look at his 48.9 career wins above replacement on fan graphs it's really nice uh through a lot of innings he's great innings eater um and he had a good era 349 era is solid 200 wins uh but he's just he's not quite there when it comes to the hall of famers you know you're talking about like clemens and you know guys like that and He's just not quite there. He's kind of in the same tier for me as Mark Burley. He's very similar to me, but um, you know, I, I definitely like Tim Hudson. He's definitely worth talking about, and I'm glad he made more than one year on the ballot too. Yeah, I am. I am as well. Um, another guy that you know is probably in that hall of very good, and you know, maybe could be one of those more borderline if you if you look down deeper into it. That's Tory Hunter. Um, you know, you're talking about a, a nine-time Gold Glover, really known for his defense. You know, I think he, there was a stretch where he won it for what I think it was. I think nine years in a row is actually when he ended up winning. I don't think he missed a year um, right there. It still has 353 career home runs, only a 277 batting average, um, but a, a 50 career WAR, which probably you know misses the the uh, you know the line for most people. 19-year career, uh, just. You know, one of those guys, like you said, a, a hall of very good, and, and you know, in a certain year, maybe he gets a little bit more attention, but just not right now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Tory Hunter is very similar. He's just not quite hall of fame worthy, but he's very good. He's worth talking about. 
Um, I don't think he quite had the peak. He was just a very, he was a solid player for a long time. But I mean, he never put up a season over five WAR, which is pretty typical of what you would you know you need a few of those for the Hall of Fame case. But I mean, he's you know it's not a knock on him. He's he was a very good player, um, very consistent from 2001 until. Uh, all the way up until 2013, he put up over two wins above replacement every single season, and uh, he typically put up over three, which is a really solid number. And uh, you know that, that that's a very you know very very consistent player. So um, you know somebody you can count on every year, you know hit 20 home runs ish, 20 to 30, you know uh, steal 20 or so bases, play good defense in the outfield. You know, hit over 270-ish, to, to somewhere between 270 and, and 290. Um, you know, didn't walk a ton, but, you know, hit for, hit some home runs, hit for some slugging. Uh, you know, be an above-average hitter, defender, and base runner. I mean, he's just a good player, but not, maybe not quite a Hall of Fame player. Yeah. Um, the next guy that is on the list that we have um, is a guy who we both have on our Hall of Fame ballots, and that's Andrew Jones. Yeah, so Andrew Jones is a guy that, you know, it's one of those situations where what if I told you that the greatest center fielder, defensive center fielder of all time, hit 430 home runs? You know, would you consider that a Hall of Famer? And I think most people would say, yeah. But for whatever reason, he hasn't drummed up the support that I think he deserves. Um, Now, his peak was unbelievable. From From 1997, which was his first year in the big leagues, you know, up until 2007, he was one of the best players in baseball, put up over seven war twice, put 6.9 one other year, nice. Um, sorry, put up seven war three times, hit 51 home runs in 2005, which is the Braves record holder. Um, the batting average at 254 was just a little bit low, but he did walk a lot. He got on base at 340 clip, 486 slugging was a, a, an above average hitter for his career, uh, a 111 WRC plus. Uh, but the defense, just greatest of all time defensively in center field. I think the thing that probably hurts him the most is his last four or five seasons, you know, with the Dodgers, Rangers, White Sox, and Yankees were not very good. And uh, that's really probably what hurts him because I think that, you know, two of those large media markets, or really all three of those being super large media markets, you know, uh, Los Angeles, New York, and Chicago, uh, not playing well when he was there really, really hurts him in a lot of people's eyes, but I definitely think Andrew Jones is a sure is a no doubt hall of famer 67 war. There's not many players that are over 60 war that are not in the hall of fame. And I think it's be, I think it'd be a travesty to keep him out of it. But, um, you know, he has drummed up a pretty good amount of support over the last couple of years compared to what he had been having. And he's getting closer. I think he's probably going to end up over 50% this year. And with some of the guys that are falling off the ballot, I think that Andrew Jones will gain a lot of votes that those guys are, you know, no longer going to have from being off the ballot. So I definitely think Andrew Jones ends up getting a, getting a nod here pretty in the next few years. But, um, you know, this is a guy that really should be in. And I mean, I'm pretty adamant about that. So. No, he he absolutely does deserve to be in that that stretch you said of those ten years, um, you know where he was he was absolutely insane defensively and you know everyone wants to say his his decline happened so fast and so rapidly, but you know when you go around and look at it, I mean if you look back at the highlight tapes the guy was doing you know for those ten years defensively in center field he was throwing his body around like a rag doll, like 
it was eventually about to break down and, and just, you know, not give him as much as what it had for that, you know, that age 19 to age 29 seasons or whatever. Um, but, you know, over 400 home runs, 10 career gold gloves, uh, you know, like you said, the batting average might be a little low, but he walked enough to, to have the on, a higher on base percentage. Uh, you know, a guy who absolutely deserves to be in the Hall of Fame 100%. But uh, the next guy on the list is somebody that I'm pretty adamant should be in the Hall of Fame, um, and that's Jeff Kent. He's one of the all-time best second basemen. Uh, I think he has the most homers in all-time for second baseman. Um, a guy who was 290 batting average, 377 uh, homers, uh, 2,461 hits, uh, a 356 on base, so he still walked quite a bit as well. You know, the an MVP as well. The the thing that really hurts him is is the defense. He wasn't a great defender. And also, I, I think another thing that hurts him was that he really wasn't a great personality, and he was, he was really rude and brash with the media um, at times. And that, you know, in a, in a popularity contest where in, in these voting sometimes that – Voters or old school media, if they don't, you know, if you weren't nice or kind to them, they could really hold you hostage here. And I, I, there is a part of that that, you know, some of the insiders have even said that they've talked to that people do have that. But, you know, he's I, I don't know why he doesn't have as much of a uh, of a backing. I think he's only at uh, what, like 30 percent right now. And he's on his ninth year in the ballot or something. So it's going to be a travesty that Jeff Kent doesn't make it. But uh you know, a guy who absolutely should be there. Yeah, and, and I tend to agree. Um, he's a guy that I probably would put on my ballot next year with the guys that drop off. Um, you know, I think the thing that, like you said, the thing that holds him back probably is his defense, uh, especially later in his career. But he had a great career. 377 homers is, is impressive from a second baseman. Um, you know, he, he was close to the, he, you know, 290 average, 356 home base, 500 slugging is really solid. 500 slugging percentage for his career from second base is incredible. Um, 56 wins above replacement is, is on, on fan graphs is really nice. Um, I, I mean, I think, like I say, uh, he, he's easily my number 11. Um, you know, I think he's ahead of Todd Helton for me. He's, he's my number 11. But, um, and I think, you know, next year, a couple of the guys that I voted that I would vote for fall off the ballot. So I would vote for him next year because, you know, he'll be one of those that get, that replaces them. He's got another year on the ballot. So but, um, you know, we'll see. Hopefully he gets in. But, um, you know, he has to drum up a lot of support next year to, to get get over the hump. Absolutely. Uh, so the next guy that we're going to talk about is he had probably one of the, the crazier stretches we ever saw and then fell off really hard. But that's Tim Lincecum. You know, if you look at, at, you know, when he came in 2008, 2009, 2010, um, and 2011, that four-year stretch was, he was the best pitcher in baseball. I mean, three of those four years had a sub-three ERA, um, you know, had overall in his career, he only ha he had 110 games that he won, but, you know, you look at that 18, 15, 16, and 13, and then from then on, he had, you know, upper fours, ERAs. Um, the FIPS were, didn't back that as much, but, you know, a guy who he was called the freak for a reason, um, in that four year stretch was amazing, but just the, after that, he just doesn't have the longevity or the career after those kind of four years to really back a hall of fame worthy candidacy. Yeah. That, that, yeah. You absolutely hit that perfectly. I mean, he's just unbelievable for like three years, four years. And then after that, just nowhere close i mean it, he was 
uh, you know, with his mechanics that he had, which were really unique, just didn't didn't last long term. And um, I mean, guy who was a great pitcher. I mean, he pit for for four years, but um, one of the best pitchers we've ever seen for four years. But you can't, you know, you got to have more longevity than that to be considered a Hall of Fame case. I mean, his 27.5 wins above replacement kind of shows that. But the but the bit the thought that he put up 27 and a half wins above replacement with most of it being in four years is pretty incredible. So, um, you know, shout out to Tim Winscombe. He's a great pitcher. And, um, you know, I think he's going to miss just about everybody's ballot. I doubt he's back next year. But he's a guy who is definitely uh, definitely fun to watch and definitely deserving of being on the ballot, but not not somebody that anybody's really going to vote for, I don't think. Yeah, not really. Um, the next, next person we have is Justin Morneau, um, you know, first baseman. He had a had a good career. I think he's right in that uh, hall of hall of good is very good, or you know, uh, man, I really messed that up right there. Uh, a hall of very good, not a hall of fame worthy player. You know, he only has twenty seven wins above replacement, but you know, two hundred and forty seven career home runs, a two eighty one batting average. He is a former MVP. Uh, I also there's one thing i don't know how many people actually have this but he in 2008 he was one of players to play in all or in 163 games because they had the extra game at the end of the year and he played in that as well so i found that interesting uh he'll also be a person that you know what if he had never battled the concussions uh he was a guy who who battled that a lot so you know what it what, what would he have been able to to do counting stats wise um had he not been able to or had not had that health issue and battled those yeah, I mean, Justin Morneau was a good player, won an MVP. Um, you know, his best year was really 2010, where he, he only played 81 games, but he put up five war in 81 games and had a 345 average, a 437 home base, and a 618 slugging with 18 home runs in half a season, which is pretty crazy. But, um, you know, he's a good player. I mean, not too much else to say about him. He's kind of in the category of, like, Ryan Howard is guys who had a really good peak, had a couple good years. I think his – I think he was a good player for longer than Ryan Howard, but didn't have quite the same peak. But um, you know, obviously Justin Morneau is a great player and uh, definitely definitely worthy of some talk. But um, you know, he definitely misses the misses the Hall of Fame mark for sure. Yes, the next guy we have on here is a a relief pitcher. It's gonna be the first one that we've actually talked about, but that's Joe Nathan. Yeah, and, and for me. I guess my philosophy on relief pitchers is that they have to be like greatest relief pitcher of all time type people to, to make my hall of fame ballot. Like as in like they need to be like, you know, super high up there. And Joe Nathan is close. He's definitely got a case, but I think he's just slightly below it. And one other thing for, for, um, you know, for relief pitchers for me too, is that they really need to have a, like that postseason resume too. For, for, you know, relief pitchers typically are guys who, you know, a lot of regular season stats don't matter quite as much for them. And, and Joe Nathan really doesn't have much of a postseason resume. Um, so maybe 2012 with the Rangers. But, um, you know, I think that, you know, if I look at Joe Nathan, I think of a really good reliever who had some fantastic years, uh, put up over three war a couple times in his career. Um 19.5 wins above replacement for his career is really, really, really good for a reliever. And he just misses my, you know, he, he probably is my number two reliever on the ballot, maybe number three, but um, 
you know, it's hard for relievers to get in the Hall of Fame for me just because of the, the fact that they don't pitch as many innings and, you know, they're a lot more volatile. So, um, you know, it takes a really special reliever for me to want to vote for him. And I think Joe Nathan is a special reliever, but I don't think he's quite at that level of, of some of the guys who, you know, are, are would get in for me. Yeah, that, that's pretty much he, – he's a really good reliever. I just don't think he's a Hall of Fame level reliever. Um, and, and we'll talk about one of those here just a little bit. But uh, I think the next next guy we're going to talk about is probably the easiest for both of us on this ballot, and that's David Ortiz. Um, you know, 541 career homers, you know, a career of 20 years. You know, obviously we know him most for being in Boston, but started his career in Minnesota, a 10-time All-Star you know, three-time World Series champion, seven-time Silver Slugger, you know, a 380 on base with a 286 batting average. Being a being a DH is what hurts the overall WAR number. You know, only at 55.3. But yeah, I think you know everyone knows Big Poppy, and you got to have him on the Hall of Fame ballot. Yeah, so he he's not quite as easy for me as he is for probably for you. He, I, I mean, obviously, I like Big Poppy, and I think he's I, I would vote for him, but. Um, you know, the whole DH thing is does hit people for me because one way I look at DH is if they were capable of playing a position, but they were put at DH because they needed to shift somebody around, then it doesn't hurt as much for me as, you know, this guy absolutely could not play the field and he had to be a DH type guy because just value-wise. But, I mean, it's going to be hard to keep out a guy with four, 541 home runs, hit 286, 380, 552 for his career. And the fact that it's David Ortiz and, you know, you're talking about the Hall of Fame and there's not been really too many more famous baseball players than David Ortiz just in general. I mean, he's probably he, – he exemplifies the that, that part of the game. And, uh, you know, obviously just, you know, as a hitter, I mean, there's – very few that were ever better. I mean, 140 WRC plus for his career, um, you know, and, and with having all that negative defensive value and base running, you know, still put up over 50 war. But, um, you know, it definitely takes a special DH for me to want to put a, D, a, a pretty much all-time DH in the in the, um, in the the Hall of Fame. You know, Edgar Martinez was one, and I think this is the number two one to, to go in for me. Um, you know, he, he's, he has to be in there. Yeah, he does. It's it kind of jumps back to the can you tell the story of a you know an era of baseball without you know you know the player? Can you tell that with David Ortiz? And I, I don't know that you can. Uh, like you said, he's one of the most famous players, and playing in Boston obviously helps that. But you know, like he's more of a slam dunk for for a lot of people, and even for me, we just you know being able to, to him being one of the most feared hitters of our generation for her say, but. You know, the next list of guys or next kind of group of guys here is we'll just kind of gloss over them. Neither one or none of them really are big hall of, or big on the ballot this year um, and probably most likely going to fall off. But Jonathan Papelbon, you know, had a really good stretch as a, as a closer as well. Uh, Jake Peavy uh, was one of the best starters in the game for, for a stretch of his career as well. Andy Pettit, you know, longevity there was a World Series champion, um, played a lot of time with the Yankees and the Astros and. Then A.J. Pruszynski, who for a catcher is probably good, but I don't know that he could be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, uh, you know, I'll go through those kind of briefly. Um, really the only one out of the three that has any case would be Pettit, but I think a lot of his success was tied up to the steroids because it really his success was longevity and being able to pitch till he was like 41. 
Um, and I mean, he was uh, just really a, on a rate basis. A 3.85 ERA would be one of the worst in the in the Hall of Fame. But uh, you look at Papelbon. I think we kind of summed up him with what we talked about on uh, Joe Nathan. The only difference with Papelbon is he might be a little bit higher than me than Joe Nathan because of the postseason success, closing out World Series and stuff. But um, I thought you were going to say because he choked out Bryce Harper. Well, I was going to say, yeah. Well, I was going to say, but but he's going to be hurt a lot by that, by that kind yeah. of thing, by being a kind of a head case. So yeah. that's going to hurt him. Jake Peavy is kind of more in that like Tim Hudson slash Mark Burley, like Hall of Very Good. Like he was a really solid, you know, um, he was a really solid pitcher for a long time. Did a good job, you know. One of my favorites, but you know, not quite. Um, you know, Hall of Fame worthy. Um, and then, of course, you look at, um, you know, you look at uh, at uh, A.J. Pierzynski as a guy who, just a, a long-term catcher that probably wasn't quite a um, Hall of Fame caliber player just because, um, you know, the fact that he's a long-term catcher really got him on the ballot. But, um, you know, that, that longevity helps. But but definitely the only one that has a case really is, is Pettit. And I probably would not go with Pettit just because of the, you know, the PED issues, plus the fact that he was not, um, you know, on a rate basis, he was not that, that good. Like he was good, but not that good. So. Yeah, well, let's jump on to the last call and at least looking at the ballot wise. Um, and, and a guy I know that I have on the, on the ballot um, and you don't for, for different reasons, but. You know, that's Manny Ramirez. He's a guy that, you know, a 312 batting average, a 411 on base, 585 slugging, you know, 555 career homers, 69.3 war, um, you know, a 12-time All-Star, nine-time Silver Slugger. You know, he's one of those players that I think he was an enigma at the time, but he's, he's a player that just was so good. But at the same time, was he good because – of his pure talent or was he good because he's was taking steroids and he's a guy who unlike you know where bonds or that where after it was kind of cracked down on you know he was still tested and tested positive and suspended for it um, while still playing so that definitely does hurt his case but for me you know a player like Manny Ramirez and what he does have you know, in the counting stats region, I, I think it's just too good to pass up to, to not be able to put him in the Hall of Fame. I mean, he's one of those players to me that helps tell the story of what the game of baseball was at that, you know, 90s and 2000s. Yeah, and like, you know, as you mentioned, the steroid suspension is what does it for me with him. I I had always been somebody who was anti-PED guys, but I kind of talked myself out of it. But the guys who actually tested positive when MLB was enforcing the rules and got suspended to me are guys who are cheaters and shouldn't be in it. So that's just kind of my stance on it. If, if they, you know, and if they got caught actually, you know, abusing the, the abusing steroids and using them and, you know, then I think they're, they shouldn't be in. So that's just kind of my stance on it. But, um, well, that, that stance will, I mean, just, let it roll into the next one, and that's Alex Rodriguez. Um, you know, is that kind of the same scenario with him as well for you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even more so with Alex Rodriguez. I mean, Manny Ramirez is a guy who, you know, 66.3 war it was a horrible defensive player, so there's reasons to. But, you know, Alex Rodriguez obviously is a guy who, one of the greatest players of all time when it comes to statistics. But, I mean, I, you know, a guy who 
did cheat, got a huge suspension. And I mean, I can't, I can't put Alex Rodriguez in. I mean, he was an obvious cheater because he was doing it while it was fully against the rules. It was enforced, and everyone knew it was against the rules at that time. And he was cheating, and he was doing it. So I can't put them in either. And and see, he's a guy that I I still do have in. Um, I, I just think he was too good of a player even beforehand. You know, before the suspension and everything that he had a Hall of Fame level career. Um, you know, kind of like what that's Barry Bonds is that because he was doing the steroids the entire time. I don't know, but you know, a guy you're, you're still looking at a guy who has 117 career war was, you know, really good defensively as a shortstop and then moving over to third base to begin with. I know it fell off later on, but you know, 696 home runs, 295 batting average. I mean, three over 300 stolen bases, 330 on base, a 550 slugging. I mean, he's still a guy that I, I just feel had still had a good enough career um, given everything that you just you can't really afford to not have him in the Hall of Fame in my eyes. And I know that my eyes doesn't really matter, but to me, Alex Rodriguez should be a Hall of Famer. Um, but, you know, looking on the list, the next guy I think is a guy we both do actually agree on um, that should be a Hall of Famer, and that's Scott Rowland. Yeah, Scott Rowland to me is a guy who is a little bit similar to Andrew Jones with the case because he, um, you know, defensive metrics are huge for him. He, he was a great defensive player, third base, um, you know, played for a long time, put up really good numbers at the plate as well. Um, you know, just a guy who was an all-around great player, um, you know, 316 home runs, a uh, 122 career WRC plus, and, 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 you know, fantastic metrics defensively. I mean, you know, I almost 70 war on fan graphs. I mean, he's a guy who should be in easily. And him and Andrew Jones are real similar. as great defensive players who hit well as well, who hit well too. I mean, I don't understand why either one of them should be left out. You know, Scott Rowland's a great player and he should be in. Absolutely, he should be. One of the defensive wizards um, and a guy who, like you said, over 300 career home runs. Uh, he should absolutely be in, and it's a shame that he hasn't got more love earlier on. Um, you know that it's being pushed to to one of his later years on the ballot. But you know the next guy on the list is Jimmy Rollins. Uh, you know a, a former MVP, but a guy who you know 470 stolen bases. But if you start looking at the the 264 on base or not on base 264 batting average, um, you know 231 career homers, you know 47.6 WAR on Baseball Reference. Uh, you know, just probably one of those Hall of Very Good guys, but just never good enough to to you know warrant a real Hall of Fame case. Yeah, Jimmy Rollins was a great player, and you know had a, had some really really good seasons. Um, you know, 470 stolen bases is nice, but you know it's a defense uh, base running type guy. You know, he had a he was a below average hitter for his career, although some of that was tied to his last you know four years where he had an 84, 103, 80, and 71 WRC plus. But um, had so had some good offensive years, but really, you know, for his career, below average hitter, um, you know, a, a pretty low on base percentage at 324 would be one of the lower ones in the hall. Um, 418 slugging is not anything to really overcome that. And, uh, you know, 49.4 wins above replacement is really nice. Good defensive player, obviously playing shortstop at a pretty high level. Great base runner. I just don't think Jimmy Rollins is quite on the Hall of Fame tier, but he's close, and you know he's he's got a he's got a case. He should stay on the ballot, but he he's not he's not Hall of Famer to me. Yeah, he he should be on the ballot. And he should get a, a little bit more talking. I know I've mentioned it a lot, but this ballot's so stacked that I don't 
I don't know if he's going to be able to to get that or not. Uh, you know, he's at 11% right now, but not sure with what the anonymous um, votes will be like. But, you know, the next guy on our list is Kurt Schilling, um, a guy who I absolutely think that should be in the Hall of Fame. Um, but I, I, a lot of his off-field, especially after um, after his playing career, kind of is being hindered a lot by that. Yeah, Kurt Schilling's a guy who, I mean, he put up 80 wins above replacement as a pitcher. He's the second best pitcher on the Hall of Fame ballot. I mean, had some phenomenal seasons, phenomenal moments in his career. Uh, you know, was on the Boston Red Sox World Series team in 2004. They broke the curse. Um, he, he was on the World Series team for the Diamondbacks, had the bloody sock game. Um, one of the best strikeout-to-walk ratios of all time. Um, and, uh, you know, he's a guy who I think should be in the Hall of Fame. Um, you know, I think a lot of – I think he was an asshole off the field. I think a lot of people don't like him for his political beliefs. But, um, you know, I think the off-field – there's other off-field issues too that, that are holding him back. But, um, you know, I think it's pretty – you know, I, I think that you know, if you're going to put some of these guys in who have other off, who have off-field issues that are a lot less, uh, that are a lot more severe than Kurt Schilling's, then I think that you should put Kurt Schilling in. I mean, he, it's, this guy had 79.8 wins above replacement as a pitcher. I mean, that's a really good number, and a 3.46 career ERA, over 200 wins. I just don't understand how you can't put him in the Hall of Fame. But, um, you know, he said he didn't want to be on the ballot anymore. I think that's kind of just. Um, you know, trying to be against the writers who don't like him, but I mean, he he should be in. Yeah, he really should be. Um, you know, a guy that I believe you have on your ballot, and I don't. He's just right outside, um, right outside of me in that group of the the three or four right there um, that I absolutely would vote for if I had the space. But that's Gary Sheffield. You know, a guy two ninety two batting average, three ninety three on base, five fourteen slugging. Um, 509 career home runs. Um, you know, played 22 years in the big league, so he has a longevity wise. Uh, you know, why why do you think that he doesn't get as much of a you know of a push for the Hall of Fame? Well, I think he's a suspected steroid guy who was one of those like super good offensive but bad defensive corner outfielders. Um, I, I think that's really the reason. But he's kind of like the Manny Manny Ramirez. I think the biggest difference for me is that. You know, Gary Sheffield never got suspended for steroids. He never got, you know, he never got tested positive. He was one of the suspected late 90s, early 2000s steroid era users, but he never actually tested positive. But, I mean, on my ballot, he's going to be a Hall of Famer because he hit 292 average, 393 on base, 514 uh, slugging percentage, a 141 WRC+, plus, 62 wins above replacement for his career, and he's in the 500 home run club. I mean, and this is a guy who also had a great peak, um, you know, in 2003 for Atlanta, 7.3 war, uh, 6.6 for Los Angeles in 2000, had some really good seasons, was a long-term, really solid player, an all-star level player for, for, for many years in a row. I mean, you know, he was a world champion with the Miami Marlins. <laughs> so, um, I mean, I think Gary Sheffield should be a Hall of Famer based on that, but um, you know, I, I think there's an argument to be made that he wouldn't be because of the steroid era and, and having been a suspected user and the fact that his career is not quite like a Bonds or Clemens type, like he's one of the all-time greats type things that Andy was a steroid era guy. I think there's an argument to be made against him, but, you know, I'd, I'd probably put him in there, so. Yeah, he, he 
you know, the steroid guys, it, it is hard, especially with being suspected and, and not and who actually did. It just feels like we're going to have to talk about that a lot. I mean, especially even with the next guy being Sammy Sosa on the list, you know, a guy who has 609 career homers, um, you know, a 344 on base, a 534 slugging with, with a 273 batting average. Um, and then you look and he's on his last year of eligibility. And as of right now, he's tracking at like 25%. And he's a guy who I think should, should be, you know, at least in that, that group of have the conversation and probably should be a hall of famer. Um, but he probably is being hurt by more being kind of a, a, a steroid guy as well. Yeah, so Sammy Sosa is an interesting case because he has a lot less tied to steroids than a lot of the other guys on the list. In fact, he his tie to steroids is exactly the same as David Ortiz's tie to steroids. But I think a lot of people suspect him because all of a sudden, mid-career, 1998, he all of a sudden started hitting for way more power. Like, he had already hit for power the last the three years before that. But, I mean, he started hitting 60 home runs every year, which is unreal. But, um, you know, his case is, you know, he only had a 124 WRC plus for his career, which is interesting. I mean, a lot of it being lack of own base, lack of doubles. Um, but, um, you know, uh, he hit 600 home runs and, you know, his tie to steroids was a lot less than some of the other guys that, you know, people are voting for. So, I, I mean, I think you kind of have to put him in 609 home runs. I mean, come on. Like, yeah, if no. you don't. If you're going to put Ortiz in, they have the same tie to steroids. I, I will say one thing that Sammy Sosa had the cork bat incident too, which yeah. was pretty rough. But, um, you know, still, I, I, I'd put him in. Yeah, he, he is a guy that, that at least deserves consideration. It is a shame that, you know, being on his last year on the ballot, he's not getting more of that. So hopefully one of those committees, you know, takes a, a longer look at, at Sammy. You know, we're getting down to the to the last couple names on this list, but um, you know, the next one we have is Mark Teixeira. He's probably one of those guys as well that are on the the hall of very good, and you could tell, you know, a lot of what he, you know, stories about the game with him being on some good teams, especially with that that Yankees, that late uh, 2000s Yankees teams um, into the early uh, 2010s. But just a you know, guy who probably doesn't have the overall counting numbers. You're looking at 268 batting average which probably doesn't do it but a 360 on base a 509 slugging and he still does have over 400 home runs yeah and uh Trichero is also a very good defensive first baseman uh to go along with it but um yeah i mean you know he's hall of very good again i mean he's kind of like todd helton to me uh, you know he had a little bit less war a little his hitting stats weren't quite as good but he also wasn't playing in cores so i mean he he's a very good player i mean but he's just not he just doesn't quite make the cut 45 wins above replacement for his career um you know just he's a very good player just doesn't quite make the cut so yeah the uh the next guy that we have on here is omar vizquel um you know probably one of the best defensive players of all time um played 24 years um in the league i mean 11 time gold glover but the uh the counting stats just the the offensive profile just isn't there at all yeah, I mean, he's he would easily be one of the worst offensive players in the Hall of Fame. I mean, he had 83 WRC+, plus, well below average, um, you know, really a poor hitter. Um, he did put up a, a pretty good amount of, you know, of counting stats offensively just because he, he played for so long, but he got a lot of hits. Um, but, you know, and obviously a great defensive player for his career, and that should never be taken away from him. But, um, you know, 42 wins above replacement. Um 
you know, I, I just don't think he's I don't think he's Hall of Fame worthy. He also has the off the field um, domestic battery issue that need, probably needs to be brought up now with this. That's kind of a pretty reliable, um, you know, accusation. So I, I just don't think he's don't think he's really that close for me. I know a lot of people actually voted for him, but he's lost a lot of votes since that incident happened. Um, but he's a guy who definitely, for me, is not not going to be on the list. So, yeah, no, nah, I mean, even he has a uh, over four hundred career stolen bases as well. But yeah, like you said, especially with the the off field um, issues, it's just you know it, it's very hard, you know, with his counting stats and then or with the you know the offensive profile he had and then that the off field issues just to to not be a good case for him at all, but. You know, the last guy that we actually have on the list that we're going to talk about is is that reliever that we were mentioning a little while ago that, um, you know, is, is in that tier of one of the best relievers of all time, and that's Billy Wagner. Um, you know, a guy who has over 400 career saves at 422, almost 1,200 strikeouts, um, a 231 ERA. Um, you know, as, as a reliever, he's he's one of the upper echelon of all time relievers, and you know, one of the guys that was the most feared um, to face in the in you know in the '90s and early 2000s. Yeah, so Billy Wagner is the guy who, out of all the relievers on this list, I would vote for because I mean he's in that upper. You know, we talked about Joe Nathan, Papelbon, but this guy is in that other upper echelon. He's he's one. He's that little step above them. You know, and, and especially in consistency. I mean, you look at him, and outside of 2000, where he only pitched 27 innings and battles an injury, outside of that year. He didn't have an ERA over three in his entire career, even his last year, which was a 143 ERA at age 38, 2010. Um, he put up 24 wins above replacement for his career, which is very high up there for relievers. Um, you know, his 1999 season, he almost put up four war, which is crazy for a reliever. Um, you know, 11 strikeout or 11.9 strikeouts per nine, under three walks per nine for his career. Um, just, I mean, there's not too much to say about him. 422 saves. This guy definitely deserves to be a Hall of Famer. Um, he's definitely one of those upper tier relievers. He's more closer to that Mariano Rivera slash, you know, like, um, you know, Goose Gossage slash Eckersley ter- territory of reliever. You know, then he's closer to like the Papelbon and um, Joe Nathan and those and Francisco Rodriguez, some of those types of guys that will, of course, Francisco Rodriguez isn't on the ballot yet, but just kind of in general. Joe, or uh, Billy Wagner's definitely like on that upper, that higher level. He's on that next level, and I think he definitely should be in. Yeah, he definitely should be in. Um, you know, and hopefully he gets a push more in the the uh, anonymous ballots. It's really hard for a reliever to get in, but I wish that you know some of these these upper echelon relievers, especially like a, a Billy Wagner, would would get more recognition. I think he's only right around like forty eight percent of the votes right now. Um, so hopefully he gets on some of the uh, the private ballots, gets a good push there. But just looking back um, at you know both of our ballots, we agree that uh, Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, Andrew Jones, uh, David Ortiz, Scott Rowland, Billy Wagner, and Kurt Schilling. Uh, we all agree that those ones should be on your ballot or on our ballot at least. Um, and then we difference a little bit. I have Jeff Kent, A Rod, and Manny Ramirez is filling out mine, um, and. Matt, you have Bobby Abreu, Sammy Sosa, and uh, Gary Sheffield filling out your ballot. Yeah, so, I mean, 
this is one of those ballots that there's such a backlog of players from the last several years with the steroid guys that are finally getting that, you know, last year or two on the ballot, like this is the judgment day for them type stuff that it's going to hold back some players that probably should be. Cause I mean, I think that like Jeff Kent and, you know, uh, Andrew Jones and Scott Rowland and, um, and uh, Bobby Abreu should all are all on that ha- all have really good cases as well as Billy Wagner, but a lot of them are going to get left off because of the steroid guys that are in there last year. Nobody really knows. So next year, I think we're going to start getting more of a clear answer on um you know uh, on, on some of these more uh, you know have an argument but aren't shoe in type guys. But um you know I think uh you know as it looks right now, Bonds and Clemens might actually get in this year, which is pretty good. And uh, who was the other one you said had the had the support right now? Uh, it's Bonds, Clemens, and Ortiz. Ortiz. Okay, so um, you know I'm kind of surprised that a guy like Roland hasn't gotten in yet. Um, but he's close behind. He's at he's at yeah. about sixty nine percent right now. Yeah, is this his last year? Uh, no, I believe he's in his fifth year. Okay, yeah. So Roland should get Roland should get in. I think in, in a couple of years, Roland will get in. I do think that uh, I do think that Andrew Jones gets in eventually. He's got he's getting more and more support every year, um, and I think a guy like a Billy Wagner maybe gets in. You know, once some of these uh, once some of these guys drop off the steroid guys that you know you're gonna get 10 10 picks in there next year there aren't a lot of first timers on the ballot that are going to be shoeing hall of famers so you might see more votes for guys like wagner you know jeff kent who's going to be in his last year um andrew roland those types of guys so we'll see um we'll see what happens but i, I feel pretty good about both of our ballots i mean the arguments could be made for the guys we left off and the guys that we put on there that we disagreed with either way you know i don't think any of us i don't think either one of us are like how can you possibly leave that guy off or how can you possibly put that guy on you know it's kind of one of those like i believe jeff kent probably should be a hall of famer but you know i picked 10 other guys and you said probably probably a has got a real good argument but you know i picked 10 other guys so you know yeah, and it's the the difference of the you know the opinions of steroids um, and what that kind of means to to a player's Hall of Fame candidacy, um, you know, especially if they were caught during the game uh, or while they were still playing and, and suspended, which you know play, people are going to have all their different views of that as well. Um, but like you know, we said there's there's a group of probably fifteen people on this ballot, uh, maybe even a couple more that you know sh- probably should be hall of famers and, and won't get the recognition that they probably deserve um just because there's still a large contingent of people that are really hell-bent especially in the voting world that you know a small ballot people that you have people turning in blank ballots just because they see other people turn in 10 and they're just like well we just can't have that or, or turn in one you know one player ballots for some awful reason that you know for i think one person that i don't remember who it was like a a Mark Burley or Jimmy Rollins only ballot or something. It's just something completely ridiculous and, and does nothing to, to help the, the hall of fame, you know, voting uh, at all. But, yeah, for sure. I've seen some of those and I think that the blank blank ballots and those ballots are pretty ridiculous. But um, the one thing I will say is that, you know, about the hall of fame and baseball is that I think that it's one of those things that some of the Hall of Fames have gotten really weighed down 
you know, get really watered down. Like like the Pro Football Hall of Fame, if you're a quarterback for a long time, you're going to be in, regardless of how good you actually were. You know, Basketball Hall of Fame, it seems like just about everybody gets in. You know, I think the Baseball Hall of Fame is one of those that's still kind of sacred, and I don't want to just let a bunch of people in who shouldn't be in. So I don't have a problem with some of the uh, non-10 picks, but this year, I think with the backlog of the you know, potential PED user players, the steroid era players that haven't been voted for in the past several years. I think that there's a better argument for, for 10 guys this year, but there yeah, are there, times there, I leave guys off. So yeah, there doesn't need to be 10 every year. Um, but in, in a year where you could look at there and say that there's probably is, is upwards of 15 people on the ballot that should be a hall of famer. For somebody to turn in a you know a one or, or two player ballot, and not only that, but also make sure that it's publicized. Like right now, only forty two point three percent of all the ballots are known, and you know the the vote is going to be announced on you know here in four days or five days on January eighteenth. Um, so to to make sure that your ballot is is public. Or even, you know, even if you put it out there, but you make sure it's anonymous, like it, that does nothing at all. Just it's just a, a cry, an outcry for your name to get known or something. Um, it, it just doesn't seem really right to me or even fair or whatever. But, um, you know, next week we'll we'll talk about more about who actually did make it um, and, you know, the the true numbers or, or candidacy behind those people and then um did we say we were going to do a breakdown next week or are we just going to leave I think that we'll, we'll 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 decide next week we'll we'll look at who makes it and how long we're probably gonna last on the hall of fame next week and you know maybe some potential cba stuff too if there's any uh but we'll probably do our our second breakdown next week if i if i had to guess all right yeah that sounds good uh Hopefully we have CBA news so we can actually talk about that, but you know, who knows? Hopefully we have CBA news so we can actually play baseball this year. <laughs> hey, there's a there's a thought, right? There's a you know, what's that thing that tweet that somebody uh Morosi put out today saying that uh Major League Baseball announced that in March they're gonna or March eighteenth or nineteenth or something, they're gonna host a uh like Diamondbacks versus A's or something in Vegas, or, or I forgot what the actual matchup was, but it was spring training games in Las Vegas in March. Um, and I was like, are you sure? Like, are we going to have that? Like, why did you announce that today? But uh, so maybe MLB, maybe MLB starting to look at, hey, you know, we're trying to make a deadline and this is what we want to be our better deadline by where we can play this game. Uh, maybe, hopefully uh, we can hope so. <laughs> hopefully Robbie Manfred is trying to tell us something for once. I uh, highly doubt that, but. Anyways, thank you guys for uh, for listening to our uh, our Hall of Fame ballots, uh, and hopefully uh, we don't look too stupid. And on uh, come Tuesday when when the ballots are, are or the Hall of Fame inductions are actually announced, but hey, we thank you guys are good. We won't. I was gonna say we won't look stupid. The Hall of Famer, the Hall of Fame voters will look stupid. Yeah, yeah. You guys are right. stupid for not listening to us and putting our ballots in there. That's what I like. That one's better. So. Anyways, thank you guys for tuning in to this episode of the Batflip Podcast, and we'll catch you guys next week. Thanks, everybody.